Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Soccer to the Max. And here with me, as always, Mr. Eric Watkins. All my team's just trying to lose now. I, I, I can't even escape. It's, it's, uh, I don't get it. I'm sorry. Hey, you know, that playoff race is going to get even tighter with uh, some of the other uh, results that have happened in Major League Soccer. We'll get to that maybe at the We'll get to that at the end, of course, with a supporters club. But, um, of course, I am your host, Sean Garma here. This is a wonderful soccer podcast where we talk about various things involving the world of soccer, usually with more of an American uh, type tinge, but we do get into the European uh, side of things too. So here's what is on the docket today uh, on this show. So it's going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge because there's a lot, of, you know, we're just coming off the international break. I know people are tired of hearing about international stuff at this point because, hey, we're back into domestic football. We want to, we want, we know what's going on there and all that. And, uh, you know, as as we dive more into, like, we'll actually have the full week out of that. I think next week we'll be able to have more of a domestic flavor to this. But there's some things that have come up that we didn't do a show on last Sunday because we had the U.S. Men's National Team uh, episode, which thank you to everybody that watched or listened to that. Uh, we appreciate you there um, with the U.S. coming off that uh, big win and then, of course, getting to go around CONCACAF there. But so here's what's uh, on the docket. We have very interesting story that Eric is going to talk about that somehow ended up in attempted murder charges. We have a the last remnants of what happened uh, with these last qualifiers for CONCACAF and some penalties that have been handed out to some of the teams for some extracurriculars that happened uh, in certain countries. And also we have the new coach of Honduras, which is an old coach for CONCACAF. If you uh, remember when Panama qualified in 2018, a certain Bolillo uh, has made his return back to CONCACAF again. And we're going to continue with the NWSL and what's been kind of going on with that. Some some of the bigger uh, stories coming out of that since, you know, the last time we uh, had a show. And, of course, we're going to talk about where Ricardo Pepe should wind up because he's drawn a lot of interest from various clubs. Should he go to the Netherlands? Should he go to Germany, Italy, or maybe somewhere else? Maybe somewhere else even bigger. We'll have to we'll – have to, uh, discuss that as it goes along and then of course uh, we will also talk about the latest with the biennial world cup and interesting things with a possible new international mass calendar uh, that is being proposed by one arson Wenger, and whether we uh, agree with it or not so since your story is a little bit it's it has nothing to do really with i mean it has to do with soccer because it happened on the soccer pitch mm -hmm. but this goes beyond uh, soccer here, Eric. William Rivero, who plays for, used to play, now uh, played for Sao Paulo, a sport club, Sao Paulo, in uh, the Brazilian soccer league. Man, there is something about getting angry at a referee, right? Getting, getting in their face. But he took it really to the next level. Something that like, out of a horror movie. I mean, it's appropriate that we're in October. This is almost like out of a horror movie. Really is. So we all know that football is a religion in Brazil. 
we've accepted this. So in that way, it sort of makes sense. But this is for Sport Club Sao Paulo against Guarani Rio Grande do Sul. And not the national competition, the Brasile Rao. This is in Rio Grande do Sul's state league's second division. Keep that in mind when I'm saying this. So Ribeiro, who was terminated because of this, during a very, very heated match, at the beginning of the second half, he didn't like some of the calls and things that were going on. So what does he do? He goes up and attacks, flat out just attacks, referee Rodrigo Crivejardo, kicking him just square in the head. Done. Poor referee is out cold, is unconscious, was taken to the hospital, and was out for a couple days, finally woke up, like, out of a coma, and was like... And just because he got a yellow card, too, Eric. Like, yeah. not even like, oh, he got sent off, or... Yeah, so thankfully the referee woke up, was doing better, he was able to give what he could in his account, because he honestly did not remember what happened, for obvious reasons. I mean, so, would you remember what happened if you got punched in the face and then got yeah, kicked if I got, if I got kicked in the head and all of that and stomped and everything studs up, I'd be damn lucky if I could remember. So, yeah, after all of this, uh, Rio Grande do Sul came out and said his contract's terminated. We're cooperating. Right appropriate move. charges. Yeah, so... That, that dude should never see the field again, honestly, professionally. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. And, and again, for a yellow card, and it's not like you're trying to make a case for a big club and have a spot in Nocella South. No, no, no. There's no yeah. excuse for ever doing any of no, that for what it's that No, it's not, but it's, it's even worse that you're in a position as State League Second Division, one of the smaller State League's Second Division. Come on, man. Just take your card and go out and play football. No excuse to do that. None. It's... It's insane. It's like the the referee said. This this guy has to have problems. He has to have some kind of mental major problems uh, issues. There is anger, and then there is beyond whatever this was. Wow. I mean, to base to the attempted murder charge because you almost could have killed this man. Mm -hmm. Like literally. I mean, yeah. If he doesn't wow. wake up, it's murder. Don and Dustin. Oh no! Yeah, totally. I mean, but it's th that's insane to. I mean, there's like getting in the referee's face, there's calling him a bunch of names, there's whatever, but I mean, for a yellow card, you're going to go and, and do that? I mean, imagine what would have been a red. Oh, God. What would he have done at, at that point? I mean, I don't know how much more, I mean, are we talking about like multiple kicks to the head? It's, it's yeah. insane to me. It was bad because he does it even said after being kicked to the ground and then was kicked some more or yeah it was just horrible so now he's he doesn't have a lawyer to defend him so he's got the case in the hands of a public defender so we'll see how the process of the trial goes and what comes of it yeah yeah that's I mean, I can't imagine this is going to wind up good for him, period. But thankfully, the referee is going to be okay, and that's mm -hmm. what matters. And this honestly doesn't really necessarily matter too much what happens to this guy. Hopefully, there is some justice served, uh, and he gets at least banned from the sport. Oh, yeah. Uh, if anything, it's upsetting that you're having to advocate for somebody to 
not continue to have maybe able to make a living in something that he does. But and I do have to give a shout out to John, who is already commenting about talking and sending hate mail. He was the one who gave me the story, so I was like, I gotta investigate this and throw it in there. Yeah, I think he's getting much more than hate mail at this point, but <laughs> that's a nice start, at least. So, you know, I mentioned that there was some headlines coming out of the uh, CONCACAF game, or the CONCACAF games from the, uh, you know, last cycle, the rounds four through six. Uh, first of all, should note that there have been some penalties handed down to three countries, Estavador, Honduras, and Panama. Both, or all of them, have uh, penalties handed down. Of course, you remember when we were talking about the ultimate CONCACAF game that was going on in the U.S. game against Panama and Estadio Romero Fernandez as well. Panama got fined $54,000, I guess, um, for this. And uh, they're going to have that. Well, they also got fined $54,000 for the homophobic chants that were in the match against Costa Rica and against Mexico. And they also Oof. got their. Their stadium is close to fans for their next game at home against El Salvador for what happened in the U.S. game with the fans getting onto the field uh, and everything. Uh, also, El Salvador ha- is going to have El Cusaclan closed on the number 12th match against Jamaica. Uh, that's going to really favor Jamaica. If we thought that there was a, a game that Jamaica really had to get those three points, they really got helped a lot by uh, this decision here. And they were hey, also fined, th- yes, uh, $32,500 for fans entering the field and laser pointers against the U.S. game and the U.S. game back in September. Uh, so there is uh, that going on. And, of course, Honduras has two sections of the Estadio Olimpico Metropolitano closed for their November 12th match against Panama uh, for for um, the homophobic chants that happened during the match against the USA, uh, and they were fined $65,000 for that. So good on CONCACAF, or FIFA for that matter, for uh, handing down punishments for this. And there's also investigations uh, against Honduras for the matches against Jamaica and Costa Rica as well. So Honduras could face even bigger penalties uh, for all of this, but at least they know who's going to be their next coach, Eric. And this is a legend when it comes to CONCACAF. Um, and well, not not just Conga, basically the Americas in general, because this man, Hernandario Gomez, known, you know, more more well known as El Borillo Gomez, if you watch any kind of Spanish, you know, soccer coverage, he is, you know, he he was just a a club coach for El Independiente Medellin over there in Colombia, and he's coached the Colombian national team in the past as well, taking them to. Uh, a World Cup, but he also is famous for when Ecuador went to the World Cup, you know, and they performed well. And then Panama in 2018, of course, uh, they went to the World Cup. So I still uh, have that announcer chant in my head the moment yeah. Panama qualified. I'm like, oh, at least they better just do something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but think about it. Like, it's just it's a crazy moment for Panama in that moment to to get and make it there. And then to have El, El Boyo Gomez be the coach, and, and they did decently. So, you know, and so here he comes, you know, Ecuador 2002, Panama 2018. And, you know, he's also coached Guatemala before as well. So here he comes to try his his hand at Honduras, it, sitting there at the bottom of the table right now. 
What do you? I mean, do you think he's he has a chance to improve the team with all that pedigree? I mean, with a lot of it, and you're talking about not quite big names, but very historically important names. He's done a lot with, in some cases, a little or maybe a decent amount. I don't necessarily know how far he can take them coming in so late, but I really think if he can get entrenched, especially with the November window, come January, March, you could see a very well Honduras team. Maybe it's, again, too far out to start thinking about that uh, qualification spot, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how that's kind of what's being fought for at the pretty much between mm-hmm. all those teams at the bottom. Uh, but the one way they can really make that a fight is Honduras has to get three points, even without the fans, three points at home against Panama. That is mm-hmm. a must um, as well. But Panama also needs that to try to keep pace if they want to get into those three qualification for sure spots. Right. So. And with, you know, Jamaica and El Salvador playing each other and you're already facing even more, you know, an uphill battle. And then you got to go and play in San Juan against Costa Rica. So that's not easy to do, even though you're such an American country and y'all are used to like battling each other all the time. Uh, that That's a rough task and a very important one for Dario Gomez to go and have to basically his feet are put to the fire almost immediately. And you have to provide results. Yeah, but I mean, in some ways, though, with something like this, I wouldn't mind a baptism by fire. Because, you know, all right, we have this big test. We have something's important. What do I have right now? And you can learn a lot of what you got and what you need from those big matches rather than just from build-up. So I don't necessarily think, you know, setting the world on fire but at the very least, if they can get something close, it's like, all right, this is what I need. This is what I need to tweak. And I think they could be a dangerous team. So and you could learn quite a bit. So this an even more important game to watch. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. Um, you've got to. It, it's this is a big deal right now for, for Honduras. They have to do something here or basically they're making this going to change for nothing. So, I mean, if you don't don't do something about this right now. You're, it's basically a waste of time, and it's a falter for those players, right? Because mm-hmm. you're now having to fight against it uh, at the moment. And it, I, I, I worry for Honduras as somebody that, you know, my step family is from there, and I always kind of have some kind of partiality to uh, how Honduras does. Um, I feel for, for everyone out there, uh, Los Catrazos fans. Uh, but maybe Dario Gomez can give you some some hope, and mm-hmm. and you, you never know. They make the big turnaround. They certainly have the talent, Eric, and that's the thing. Yeah. Is, on Dudas, with the talent they have, it's incredible that they are underperforming so much uh, as they are, and they really shouldn't be. And I think no. that's – the Federation is right to be upset and want to fire the coach. This is not um, – I mean, to be fair – the octagonal, if you made it that far, you should be performing way better than you are. Of course. But, I mean, this is not like El Salvador who, you know, you could say uh, Hugo Perez is doing what he can uh, with with the team and everything. This is a team that has been to a World Cup before. This is a team that 
It's expected to perform. It's expected to be one of the big teams in CONCACAF. And when you are sitting at the bottom like they are. And even thinking forward, not just all right, what are you going to do for the rest of this World Cup cycle? Pushing for that qualification spot. But then it's like, all right, building upon this, next edition of the CONCACAF Nations, getting the next Gold Cup coming up. So not quite super long-term all the way between World Cup cycles, but even now and going forward just in CONCACAF, it's like, okay, we got to show who we really are and what we have been and getting back to that. Then you do that, you could start looking forward to 2026 from there. So building blocks, all about the building blocks. Oh yeah, for sure. You got to start somewhere and this is mm-hmm. what they're going to try to do come November right now for uh, Oluda. So let's get into it, Eric. There's plenty to talk about here in the uh, Manchester United uh, moment of our show. Oh, my Lord. We know, we talked about this schedule that is happening that pretty mm-hmm. much starts uh, with this game here. And boy, did the team just absolutely... Well, you know, within the first 20 minutes, you thought maybe, oh, maybe they're going to really do something here. And Mason Greenwood with an absolute belter, and he puts the team on the, the score sheet, and oh, my Lord, it is uh, amazing uh, for Man United. So. If I didn't have such a particular, specific, vested interest in Leicester City, if you know what I mean, I would be a lot angrier. But with something like that and some of our offensive performance, at least with getting those two goals, I would have been happy, happier, even if it was 2-2. But even at the end, those last, like, 15, 20 minutes, we just crumbled. No, I mean, in the box. Yeah, there was there was some positives and Mason Greenwood and of course Marcus Rashford getting to come back and get that amazing goal that he got with a wonderful um, you know volley over the top from uh, Lindelof as well to to you know put him in. But my lord, I mean, did did Harry Maguire like not have his coffee that morning or what was Appar- it? I mean, apparently he was, not. He, apparently he was not. asleep. I don't know how many times. Yeah, Nacho nutmegged him at the beginning of the game. Then he catches him napping on that first goal where he just you come up come up to the ball. Come up to the ball. You know, Make the hand cha- passes. Yeah. Make a challenge. Step off. Have something so that way you can get well, it. It's like De Gea passes on the ball, and then he's kind of like, Okay, what? what do I do with it? What? Huh? Oh, huh? it's coming. It's coming. And then before he knows it, Ianacho has stolen it off his foot, and there it goes for the goal that winds up happening to Tielemans, which is an absolutely fantastic goal as well. And then, okay, well, game on. 1-1, you know, whatever. Been 1-1 for a while, and then all of a sudden – uh, here comes the the goal again, uh, an, a fantastic goal uh, for Leicester off a corner. And then Rashford gets his, and then immediately, they don't even get to celebrate. They're, they're like done celebrating. They're about to start again. And then Vardy hits that goal. And my Lord, it was just like, wow, you this is not going to be the how dangerous of a striker Vardy is. Yeah. And you're always vulnerable right with that. And then they go, yeah. like you said, right up the pitch. And, and once, like, ag- once again, like nobody – I mean, Juan Bissaka was the only one that actually tried on that play. He got booked for that tackle. But then, like, Perez takes three guys with him and then brings the ball in. Mm-hmm. Great move by him, by the way. And then, like, it's like, 
all alone right there. The the worst guy you could possibly. And then what's everybody else doing? They're all way back here. Yeah. Nobody's stepping to him. Nothing. So leave him wide open for that. And then the fourth goal. When you still have a chance, you got five minutes left of injury time. A lot of stuff can happen. Oh yeah. Jerry Maguire falls asleep again. He gets. He just lets Daka go right by him. Boop at the back post. And credit to him. Zimbabwe International getting it in there yeah. for his first goal. I mean, coming from that, Salzburg. Yeah, coming from like Salzburg and having that insight, especially right there inside the 18. It's like, okay, wait, I got my defender off. Thank you very much. I I don't get it. I'm it, writing this as a one-off. No, I it's think... not a one-off. It's it's not a one-off, Eric. The team is just uh, Ronaldo was not around, and this one it it really was two moment again. It was a bunch of players on the pitch doing stuff. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of combination. It was Mason Greenwood having to do his own thing to get a goal, which he done. He had another opportunity like that that just, you know didn't hit for him earlier in the game. And then Rashford, yeah, he gets that great ball, but he has to do a lot as well. And that's it. That's your two moments of brilliance. And it's like defending gone awry for the rest of the game. The whole middle of the park is just open season for Leicester constantly. And Nacho was a, a beast for, you know, a large parts of that game. I mean, it was insane to me. It doesn't seem like Manchester United. And then again, it's the, you're going to play the double pivot and then we're not – we basically have Pogba, who's not a holding midfielder. No. Who has to go join the attack. So you're leaving it all on Matic to try to stand in front of the fourth back four. That doesn't work. I mean, I don't understand him with the – I under, I get he's trying to play what he probably feels is his best 11. But at the trying same to time, get as much attacking power. but Yeah, but at the same time, if this is Solskjaer's best 11, have a system that your best 11 – we That's the problem. They don't have that. a system. They don't have a system. There's no style of play. There's no, oh, well, we know what they're going to do. We don't. They go out and they hope that somebody scores out of the um, the amazing talent that they have. I mean, look, tell me, Eric, that you know what Manchester United are going to do when they go out and play. Do you? Aside from a lot of pushing forward, trying to lump the ball into Ronaldo, no. No. But, no. like, that's the point, though. Like, there's not even – okay, Sancho had that one moment where he cuts in, right? And then uh, he gets it to Ronaldo, and, and uh, Schmeichel has to make the, the, like, arm save, right? That's one of the few times that you see, like, there's an actual pattern of play. Like, and there's not even, like, oh, let's let's try to bomb the byline with Luke Shaw or something and cross in there. Like, We're not even doing that. We're just – it's like, okay, have we, have we thought of playing somebody up there with Ronaldo instead of, yes, you know, just Ronaldo is, by himself? I and mean, these are the kinds of things yeah. that I was thinking. If you're going to try to do a 4-3-3, have the right 4-3-3, your winners to go ahead and help him. Otherwise, no, but they don't, they don't play 4-3-3. So, so then what was the whole thing they're about playing, They're playing a 4-2-3-1. So then what was all up there by this? himself. So then what was all of this with Solstrider going ahead, making these purchases and saying, oh, well, I'm going to change to a 4-3-3. I'm going to abandon the 4-2-3-1. He never abandoned it. It's the same thing. He, I, I don't understand what he's doing in these international breaks that you're not, like, thinking of something. Because 
something has to change because it's not working and you have even tougher opponents as you get along with this. So I the schedule gets worse for them. You have to do something. But what I worry about is Skullshar is not going to do anything different. It's going to be the same thing. Uh, when you see them against Atalanta, it's going to be the same. And we're going to keep going down this road. And because the Glaciers aren't going to put any pressure on him, and nobody's going to put any any pressure on him and because they, they don't want to rattle the cage. Like, But they should because the fans already are. I mean, I have yeah. seen so many Ole is at the wheel memes, good and bad. It's like fans are going to notice and they're going to yeah. want change. And they've already expressed they will do whatever it takes to get changed. Yeah, I mean, and all all you see in these reactions when somebody scores is like, I'm mad, but I'm not like totally mad. And there's like, there's no like getting at the at the players or anything. It's like, listen, dude, uh, I guess maybe you know it's on you, maybe because he just looks out of it. And then I guess it's gonna take Ronaldo having a fit or something for the Glazers to finally like. Is he gonna have to come out in the media and go, I made the wrong decision. I should have gone to Manchester City for them to. So, you know, make a, make a difference here because it's it's just mind-boggling to me the way they have played uh, recently. And the thing that's weird, though, Eric, is we know what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to get some – it's going to be another one of those Villarreal situations. They're going to get enough of those where they score late enough where the other team can't draw, and they're going to get enough results where we'll see. We're still in it. We're still there. And then – you're still like 10 points behind Chelsea and City and everybody. Cool, you got third, right, or fourth or whatever, but shouldn't you be striving for more than that? Especially if, when the kind of seasons like this where we're supposed to be title contenders, we're supposed to be closing yeah, the gap I mean, City. What do you go and sign these players for? To, to, comp- to keep going with the project? I hope not. I wouldn't think right. so, but at this point, who knows? Definitely, who knows? I don't think even Oli knows. I don't think Oli knows what that is at this point. But that's been the Manchester United moment of our show. Uh, let's move on because I'm sure very many non-Manchester United fans are like, "Ah, oh, y'all just keep talking about this," uh, and we're kind of uh, we're kind of done with that at the moment. But um, something that has continued to be a thing, uh, even during all this uh, internet break and everything else, is the continued. Uh, what's going on with the NWSL uh, post the scandal with Paul Riley and all of this has come out with um, the sexual abuse and, and, you know, verbal and emotional abuse from various coaches. Um, basically, the league just not protecting its players. And, of course, remember the resignation of Commissioner Lisa Baird and everything else. Uh, so After another set of emails came out from Alex Willen, like saying, we've got receipts. Uh, and then even like kind of, just allegations of stuff that apparently Lisa Baird knew and kind of just, ah, there's the broom, you know, it, there it goes. Uh, let's just forget about it so we can get those national TV deals and all that stuff. But, you know, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road for me. And the first thing I think that's important is the NWSL uh, Players Association has come out and made demands. Uh, that I think are very much fair and should be followed by all of the clubs, uh, honestly. And for me, the most important one is that every single one of these clubs, every single one of these office, league office staff, and anybody that was in a position of power needs to adhere to an investigation. You need to get all of this out right now. You need to get rid of it. Like, it's like, 
the bed bug. When the bed bugs bite you, I'm sorry if I got ghetto for somebody. Like <laughs> get all get all the get all the crap out. Like throw the mattress out, throw all the furniture out, throw it burn all it, out there. Burn the whole it. House, it the burn it down. Burn <laughs> it down internally. Get all the pieces of S out and start fresh. Because this is the only way you're gonna make headway at all is let's end the root of it. There's no more. Anybody that allowed any of this to continue to happen needs to be out because if you leave people in, it will just it will just deep seated continue to simmer there. You know? Um Absolutely. I mean because this way what if you do hire another uh male coach after this and you know what let's I mean but female coaches can also still verbally abuse players and emotionally of course. abuse players. There's been some examples, right? Right. It's not. It's not just male coaches, but you know, when you it, when you get to that point of making those those hires, right? You know, hey, this is what's in front of you. Like you bet, we're watching you. There is yeah. there's people in line. This stuff's going to be reported. We have a, a basically a watchdog group that's yeah. that's there to. Allow the players to make anonymous reports now. Yeah, I and mean, on, on top of all the watchdog group, which is fantastic, being able to make reports anonymously, right. that's also fantastic. As the saying goes, the fish rots at the head. Get mm-hmm. rid of everybody who is there. So when you get new people in place, however deep it goes, if you're sticking with the committee, new commission or whatever, have these processes in place, even at a club level. So when you're in the midst of making these hires, whatever they are, do a thorough background check and investigation to see if there was anything troubling that could even pop up. And then if anything happens, right. it's like, all right, we know this is your record with this. This is your record with that. Just so you are aware, yes, you're stepping into this. And then like you said, we've got the watchdog groups. There's going to be eyes on you. Anything that happens, we're going to know about it. And if we don't like it, you're gone. Simple. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely make people have to, you know, mind their P's and Q's a lot more, mm-hmm. knowing that this is around. And that's good. I mean, this is the way it should have been without without having the need for this. But if this is what it takes to finally eradicate uh, this from women's soccer and just women's sports in general, uh, you, but you got to start somewhere, do this, you know. And uh, once again, you know, the, the women's uh, soccer league did play their games, uh, but they stopped play. Uh, in the sixth minute of each game to recognize the six years that it took for the reports to come out uh, and, you know, for all of this to, to unravel uh, the, what happened with Paul Riley. Yeah. And as a result of that, uh, Portland Thorns have put their uh, general manager, Gavin Wilkinson, on administrative leave uh, due to, you know, uh, the independent investigation that's going on into, you know, why he was hired in the first place, even though he had, uh, you know, all of the the other precedents in front of him. So, you know, good on the league, good on the team for for doing this. And let's this see what is, happens with an independent investigation. Yeah, this is a matter of accountability with this investigation that's showing a lot of good faith to the players, saying, hey, we are serious about this. We're going to be the one step up. And hopefully, I would at least think any other club with something like this, they step up and do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's why you have what the NFSLPA are asking for is so that you can make sure that this stuff does get outed so that you know, okay, we're not hiring this guy right. again. You know, we can say what we want and 
uh, all that. But until you see the change and you have to start it here, like I said, yeah, and you're this starting is part of that process. Doing this with Portland, what's going on with the Washington Spirit, the ownership finally saying, okay, I'm going to sell my stake. I'm out. These are the kind of constructive yeah. changes that you need to start happening if you want to even get your lead back on a solid foot. Not just, okay, we're listening here and changing our side of our championship game, going a lot more thorough and doing this all around. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like you just alluded to, Eric, which is the other part of the Steve Baldwin, the Washington Spirit co-owner. Up until, you know, a few days ago, he had refused to sell his mm-hmm. stake in the team to Michelle Kane. Like, he wasn't going to do it. You no, know, he didn't want to allow her to be the pretty much sole owner of the team. And now he has uh, finally caved. Um, he really should have just done that from the beginning. But at least it's it's now done. And again, more progress being made solely but surely. This is going to be a long process that um, oh, yeah. you know, we won't really see, I think, the fruits of until the season is over. And there's been a larger rest within the teams and everybody can kind of, you know, start really looking at, okay, who in all of our teams is, is shouldn't be involved or and and then start proceeding with the with the next season. But I'm glad to see this stuff happening. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's all baby steps right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. You would hope by the time that the 2022 season is about to start, then you'll be seeing some more, if not even wholesale stuff, something more concrete throughout the rest of this year and through the off season to say, all right, new year, this is where we really are. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like, this affects your your audience, right? This affects mm-hmm. your, especially your ticket, your season ticket holders, your families that are going to the game. I mean, and it affects, it, it affects youth soccer, right? It affects a... I oh, have yeah. a, uh, you know, used to be my stepmom. Um, her niece is a very prominent uh, youth soccer player. And she, you know, looks like she wants to make this uh, a thing where she eventually does play in the NWSL and everything. And I'm sure that that's making them have to think about that, you know, of like, okay, well, now, like how many, you know, of the youngsters that are going to college right now are looking at that mm-hmm. and going like, well, that's the league I'm going to enter, right? I want to make sure that it's safe for me. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to make sure you do this correctly because you could really lose fans and viewers and everything else if you handle this the wrong ways. And WSL really needs to be upfront about everything. Anytime a story comes out, just be upfront and be like, look, we're working on it. This is another person that we are now removing from the league, removing from it. I mean, they're lucky that they have not lost any sponsors yet. Mm-hmm. And they've actually been supportive of the players and everything. So that's also a positive thing that we haven't just seen this mass uh, sponsorship like loss like we saw with um, FIFA, what happened with them with the, the you know, the, the big scandal that they had. So, right. Uh, that's a positive thing for the league too, you know, because they have this deal with CBS and they really need to take advantage of it while they haven't. And if they don't improve and, and do what they're doing, I mean, uh, chances of renewal are uh, difficult in that end. So hopefully things can continue to improve in show. And I'm sure, again, this will be a continuing story. There'll be more things going on with it as uh, the weeks go by. Uh, so let's uh, turn our attention to Major League Soccer here. And one player for FC Dallas 
in particular, Ricardo Pepe. Obviously, people already crowding him the El Tren, the, <laughs> the, the savior, the number nine of U.S. soccer. I mean, if we're any, above anyone else, that's the guy that's got to be on the team sheet every time they play a game as far as uh, U.S. men's national team is concerned. Eric, we've we've been a part of this hoopla, you know, covering all the games and everything. But of we're course, we're passengers on the Pepe hype train. Exactly, we don't deny passing. it. We don't. Uh, but you know what's important for Mark Ricardo Pepe and all of this is where he plies his trade next. Whether that's there are a lot of possibilities apparently because he's getting a lot of attention right now thanks to what he's been doing with the U.S. men's national team and even attention from. Some bigger clubs that you know you wonder, oof, is that too much of a But we'll we'll get into this. So the reported ones that we have up until this moment are Genoa in Italy, uh, Wolfsburg, which also how you know is where John Brooks plays right now. So you have an American connection there, and Ajax, which we have talked about before. Of course, the Dutch, the big Dutch uh, there in the Netherlands league. And, I mean, we've seen, you know, Josie Altenberg go to PSV, uh, Aaron Johansson as well play in the Dutch League. We saw, you know, um, Michael Bradley. So a lot of uh, Americans play, have played in the Dutch League before. Obviously, all the American contingent that have played in the Bundesliga previously. And, of course, you know, as we see, you know, with uh, Brian Reynolds and uh, some uh, Gianluca Busio. And um, oh my God, uh, Taylor T- uh, Tannerman, Tanner Testman, uh, both playing at Venezia right now. Uh, so uh, you know that's the thing is where does he move, Eric? Like where do you think? Considering now, this is why I think that maybe should he move at all? That, that's it's two questions because there's a while till the World Cup. There is right, like you don't need to be not playing as is the case with, say, like a Ethan Horbath, right, where, like, you're not really seeing – or even a Zach Steffen, could you say that some of why he played the way he did in the Costa Rica game is because he has not been playing, right? You can make that case. So what's important for you, Eric, as a U.S. Men's National Team fan, also as uh, someone that, you know, is cover, you know covering them and talking about them for the show and the things, what is important for you? Do you play – week in and week out, or go somewhere else, learn your trade from another team, have other players around you that are worldly and have been in that situation. What do you think is best, let's say, in the year and a half that we have until World Cup 2022? Because after that, kind of not that big a deal. You have more uh, more time, right? You have more time right. to settle yourself and, and whatever. So what do you think is important for him? Now, I'm looking at this from two sides. From Pepe's perspective, he's in a great rhythm. Yes, you could argue that even with a team like with FC Dallas, maybe not one of the best teams like a longer term for MLS, but they have the great academies and they know they have their ceiling, but you can at least adapt yourself to regular play, hone some of your main skills, and you're showing those off for the U.S. national team. So if I'm from Pepe's perspective, I really don't change a thing yet. But if I'm from the business perspective of SC Dallas, you're playing like a little bit of a gamble because he is doing this well now. You have your valuations now, including 
the reported deal with Wolfsburg, which is supposedly could be done within weeks. We don't know. Again, it's all conjecture. So it seems like on that part, it would be decided. But do you go ahead knowing we're less than a year and a half out? See how well he continues to do. See how well he does at the World Cup should the U.S. qualify. Then, hate to bring like this side of it, his valuation goes up sky high. Granted, even though MLS with the league as it is, you're still going to be in a position to be able to ask for even more, knowing the kind of talent you have. So I would lean a bit more towards waiting. If it is indeed Wolfsburg, I wouldn't mind because, yes, you are in Ein Bundesliga. Yes, you're in a very solid team, but there's going to still be more immediate opportunities for Ajax. Yes, they're one of the top of the heap in Eredivisie. But you also have to take into account what are the things going on behind the scenes with the Eredivisie as the development of the Beneliga comes up. That's not going to be a direct factor on the pitch. But at the same time, if you're going to be at Ajax for a while, a multi-year contract, what is your level of competition all of a sudden going to be? Is that going to work in your favor? And for Genoa, similar situation to Wolfsburg. You know Serie A, you have some of your American talent there. You know, for a team like Genoa, if they want you, you're going to be coming in and at least making a strong push to get minutes in the starting 11. But it's a situation for me, you can go ahead and wait and see. And if everybody just waits and sees, they may pay off more in the end, at the end of the calendar year 2022, rather than right now. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards as well, is if you're really thinking about just having him be the best he could possibly be for the World Cup, mm -hmm. I think staying at FC Dallas is perhaps the best opportunity for him to do that because you know he's going to start. Mm -hmm. You know he is your striker. He is your number nine. He is your guy that you lean on. And up there with Jesus Ferreira, who he plays with and knows very well, uh, you know, you know they can be a force, right? Uh, and you know that that has served him well for the time being and with the U.S. Men's National Team. And that's really all you need is for him to keep doing that. And he will continue to be improved because he's already got that instinct, right? It's not like mm -hmm. he's going to lose it. No. He's going to really just keep improving that on uh, as he continues to play. Um, so that's something to look at. But there is something to be said for, okay, let's say you're going to make the move in January, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if Ajax comes calling and there's the opportunity to be playing in the Champions League as a Jordan P. Folk or Brandon Aronson or uh, some of these other guys, um, you know, Weston McKinney and some of these other guys are doing, uh, right? Um, would that be enticing for him to just be like, well, I could possibly get an opportunity there. But, and, you know, in trading, I'm playing with all these terrific players on one of the best Dutch teams. I could go mm -hmm. with trophies somewhere else. But it's at the expense of how much playing time and games am I actually getting? This you know? is just it. You know, you're not really getting champions in football with the other two. You don't have that much prestige. But if you right. want to Well, Wolfsburg, you do. Right. Well, yeah, Wolfsburg, yes. But if you want that continued level of improvement, you've got to be on the pitch. And lest we forget the time frame we're talking right now, 
he can make this move in January. What levels of travel are going to be affected for the remainder of those 2022 qualifying windows? To me, that is another significant question mark. At least in being based here in the States, through all this, right. you know it's a lot easier. Well, but also during those months, MLS is on a break, right? So then you're not playing at all. True. So, I mean, there's, I mean, that's the thing is like, are we, if we're including these qualifiers as important and you see playing all the time, there's that. But mm-hmm. then also you go to these, to these games and maybe you're not playing. Like, at least with Wolfsburg, you have the connection with John Brooks, who, although he yep. apparently has fallen kind of out of favor and, um, you know, out of form, he wasn't picked for uh, last round. He, well, he was picked and then Marcus Zimmerman and they replaced him and played pretty well. So, man, if he doesn't play much for Wolfsburg in the lead up to the number of matches, I wonder if you can really consider calling him in. Uh, so, you know, like, but you do have that connection, right? However little it is. And you do have the connection of having other players, you know, a Gio Reyna, a Joe Scali, um, playing in the, you know, uh, Matthew Hoppy played there. He can talk to him about it, uh, you know, of, of playing in the league and, and kind of getting together and being able to talk about um, what that's like and everything. So there's opportunities there. Like why you say, oh, well, why aren't you guys talking about Genoa? You know, well, Genoa, you know, has your Weston McKinney and Brian Reynolds mm-hmm. and so forth. Right. But, and, See, like, my thing with that is he really should be able to have the opportunity to go to Venezia, but he can't because you can only have two non-EU players registered yeah. per season. So you already have Tanner um, uh, Tessman, and you also have Busio. So are you going to drop Tessman to bring in Pepe uh, for that? Or, you know, Genoa, like... No, they're a team that's kind of there, middling for Serie A. I mean, he could probably play some tips there. Uh, but is that the best choice for him, right? Like, right. the other two, Wolfsburg is uh, kind of more top of the league, and uh, obviously Ajax is the Dutch. Like, what do you want, right? Like, perhaps Genoa, he gets more playing time because you have more competition for spots there, whereas, you know, Wolfsburg and Ajax, you kind of have your set squad and you're just bringing them reinforces, right? You have to wait for an injury. You have to wait for something right. uh, to happen for him to get that. So, like, for me, I'm really looking at it like as much as I am always for somebody moving on and doing better for themselves, the dude is just 18 years old. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, although, yes, you have 18-year-olds and, and all that playing right now in Europe, you can also wait till you're 19 or mm-hmm. Wait till you're 20 and then go out there. I mean, yeah. not always are you going to take to it right away, like Brendan Aronson or Tyler Adams, whatever. Like, sometimes you're going to struggle, right? And and you only get a few opportunities when you go from being as much as you want to say, oh, man, he should do it. It doesn't matter, even though we have Christian Pulisic playing for Chelsea and all that. There's still the stigma with American Especially in Europe. There's the stigma with the Americans playing in Europe, and there's the pressure of when everybody looks at you at a Wunderkind. You have to live up to a lot when people are looking at you like this. And the minute that you can't, then all of a sudden... Yeah, and it's not just that. It's also 
there's a shorter leash, right? So much shorter. He doesn't show a lot in the particular game that he gets an opportunity. He may not get another opportunity, especially up front, right? Like you're playing up front. You're the striker. You're the you gotta go get goals. So if you, you know, if if you hit him, like you know, Josie Altador sometimes did when he would play for some of the English teams or whatever, or even Villarreal, like, okay, cool, we'll keep you in the lineup. But as soon as that form dips, you may not see him for another five or six games, and that's affecting him. He's coming in that window. So I don't know. For me, I feel like if he thinks that that's the best move for him to go to Wolfsburg, if that's the deal that winds up happening, then awesome. You know, I think Germany is a great place. We've seen so many Americans go there and flourish and then move on or stay there and keep doing their thing. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Not at all. Um, Not at all. But I think for me, perhaps staying in MLS until after the World Cup is perhaps yeah, uh, because also it, not a bad move either. No, because again, if we keep this pace, we qualify, he has a good tournament. That valuation is going to be oh yeah, much, much higher yeah. come January of 2023 than it is right now. Oh yeah, for, for sure. So, you know, you're talking about that as being a major uh thing for ricardo pepe and then also like there's you know rumors of i think monica was talking about him for real madrid and some folks are looking at him for chelsea like you know those are some big clubs and i think a move like that you don't need to make right now Mm -mm, because you definitely are not going to be playing you're probably going to get loaned out somewhere like we saw, we saw with Brahim Diaz, like we see with Matt Miazga and some other players, like you're going to get loaned out probably. And well, that's fine. You're still learning. You're learning your craft somewhere else. Why not just go to that team and play for that team instead of? Exactly. But again, perhaps maybe by the time we talk to you next week, that deal is done and we're sitting here talking about nothing because he's already a Wolfsburg player, but it's, it's at least good to be able to bring that opportunity. Oh yeah. You know, it's it always good to it. know. This is a continuation of another part of our generation of talent, at least being sought after. Whereas after, before, not that long ago, we were seen as one of those football backwaters. Then all of a sudden, we started getting good. All of a sudden, started dipping your toes. And now we're moving up to this. that's where it's nice to see Gregor Holter going with the young talent. Yep. Instead of going with the old dudes, the old bodies. Because why? Because these are the the kids that can grow and learn and go to those teams and make a difference and not, I mean, I saw it like a Clint Dempsey or Landon Donovan, which were proven guys, right? Not saying that Michael Bradley had bad stints in some of the places he played at Josie Altor, but it's just like, man, you know, don't need to keep relying on those guys when you have these young guys here that can do this. So let's go on to one of our, our other main topic here, which is the Vital World Cup continues to be a thing. Uh, Gianno Infantino is now considering whether he's going to have that FIFA Congress to do the voting in December between the 211 nations. And the thing is, Europe is Europe and Commonwealth are getting very, very frustrated with this, and they are possibly, according to um, Danish Federation Chairman Jesper Moller, who is in charge of kind of representing the Nordic country that Europe may even go as far as blocking the Biennial World Cup by leading FIFA and possibly Commonwealth could join them and trying to force FIFA's hand to drop it because then they would go on their own international calendar. 
Please tell me we could get some outlaw tournaments. Oh, please tell me. Oh, it would be so epic in so many ways. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I, be... I totally was thinking something else going into this, but hello, nurse. No, Bring I mean, it on. It'd be cool, but it would I would really kill the legitimacy of the World Cup because you're talking about all the nations that have won that thing. Oh, yeah. Automatically out. Yeah. I mean, it's and... not the same at all. No, it isn't. And they have like what they were trying to, which was the genesis of the Club World Cup, or kind of on more of a national yeah, that's level. Too. Yeah, and well, but they're trying to revive it on more of a national level because I heard something about the meeting between the European champions, like uh, Italy, Argentina. They're working out and getting sort of a match together, so something like that. And you're absolutely right. All your top two confederation, the back of international football and a lot of club football. The reason why I say out more outlaw tournaments, if they follow through and if it gets this far with breaking away, because we're sitting here, I know which ones I would watch. I know right. which ones more casual fans would watch. And it wouldn't be FIFA minus those two confederations. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, it, we'd it still would. watch for the for the U.S. teams to want to play yeah, we would, other of nations, course. right? Yeah. But... That's very few and far between, you know. You're, like, like you said, any casual fan or even just hardcore football, soccer fans, you're gonna go more towards that. I mean, people would, people could talk shit about the, and I was not a fan of it either. And I'm, I don't know how you felt about it, but everybody came together to be against the European Super League, right? And we talked about how bad this was for for soccer, football, all that. And then they're kind of trying to do the same thing here. Yeah. Except for you don't have as much uh, uniform or unilateral acceptance because all those other countries that are not Europe and, and Carnival, I mean, yeah, they're kind of actually for it. So yeah. that's and, the problem, right? Yeah, and even UEFA is turning the tables because of their coming expansion of the Champions League and now what they have with UEFA Conference League. If all of this goes on, it made you wait for turn around saying, you know what? Maybe we're right about this in Super League, but let's at least get together and do something. And I even had my whole well, scenario. It's about a, all I that. think it's yeah. different because expanding the Champions League lets other nations. I mean, you're you're not really letting these smaller nations in. You're just letting the bigger countries have more teams. But still, it's expanding it to making it a, a you know a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. You know, doing the what is it the the and even the conference means you're letting more people into European football from those yeah. smaller nations yeah. and everything. I mean, the FIFA World Cup is every two years is adding more games on yes. top of that. So and, that's yeah. And with what Arsene Wenger now wants on top of a biennial World Cup, he's saying, you know what? Maybe instead of all of these different international breaks and windows, we just have one big chunk every year. Dedicate that to international football and that's it. I look at that and I'm like, how is that going to make any sort of sense? How is that well, making any sort let's of sense? let's talk about that. So here's, here's the outline of these ideas. We kind of need to get through this quickly. I didn't realize how much time we already spent um, on the show here. So. Here is the the ideas that are being outlined by Arsene. Binary World Cup every two years. So that would mean that the Euros or Copa America or Gold Cup or Asia, whatever, your next next tier are in the odd year. 
which would mm-hmm. mean that they would go right up against the Women's World Cup, mm-hmm. which would mean that the Women's World Cup has even less viewers than it does now. So if you want to say the Women's World Cup every two years, I still say that's not a bad idea. Mm-mm. But the Men's World Cup every two years, and you keep having the Continental Tournaments, No, it's absolutely dire for the women's game because people are not going to watch Women's World Cup. They're going to watch the Euros. They're going to watch Copa America. They're going to watch, yeah. I mean, maybe not the Gold Cup, but like, you know, they're going to watch those. You know, that's that's going to affect Women's World Cup. Oh, that's not great. But, okay, so here's what what Eric is talking about. Either one in October or two October and March, mid-season international breaks for a month in total. When qualifying major tournaments will take place, groups of four countries are in are, are in a vision with a playoff for a maximum of seven matches during that time. So you know how we're talking about well, there's three matches in a one-week window, and this really puts a damper on the on the domestic leagues because why? You have a lot of these players that don't play in the next game for their club because they're just coming off that international break. Some mm-hmm. of them do, but like what we saw with Harry Maguire from Manchester United or some others, they're not like up to form still. Uh, so, and he also just came back from an injury as well, so it right. gave him a little bit of a. Either way, that's a lot of games, and it's over in a month period. You're all kind of there on international break. And then, of course, once you have their major tournaments, there's a guaranteed rest period of 25 days, uh, which I think I was reading somewhere that Pedri had like 11 days between the end of the Euros and starting for Barca, which is insane to me that he didn't have more of a break. Yeah, I mean, this is this idea of having the it's like a, Basically, hey, it's international time. Go enjoy it. Basically, like a World Cup, uh, you know, the World Cup, like, month-long thing that we have or the Euro month-long thing. But we're doing it with the international break. I, the reason why I'm entirely against just the one single break, and this was a main element that got up, injuries. If you're injured, yeah. even in that window, you're not potentially playing international football again for another and yet, yeah. all the club football and everything, that would be great. But, you know, it's not the same. And especially how you would have to structure your groups for all the qualifying that. Now, October and March and that being well, it, well, not just that, right? Like, let's say it's a big player that's injured. Oh, yeah. Like, that really affects your team's ability to be able to qualify if you're only doing qualification during that one month or, or two-month period, right? So Absolutely. Like, that really is an issue, whereas, okay, the way it's structured now, okay, he's injured in, right, like, we, okay, we had Christian Pulisic for the September games. He got injured, didn't have him for October, but, okay, let's say maybe he's back in November. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say we had the, we just had the October window. What if it was all in October? Guess what? No Christian Pulisic, no Gio Reyna At for all. that entire At thing. All. So, man, that's a lot. And that's also a lot of games with still a lot of travel, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so like I get what Arsene Wenger's saying; it cuts some of the travel down. Um, you know, the the calendar's kind of outdated, uh, but this doesn't really give every country a chance because no. for a lot of these countries, like let's say Egypt with Mo Salah, or um, especially some of these African countries, like all it takes is that one big star player. And that team is not the same. And if you had to play the qualifiers all in that one window where that one-star player is not around, oh, man, that team's probably not making the World Cup. 
Not at all. Whereas they had a chance to make it if that one or two star players are around. So, you know, like uh, like Jamaica just had with Mikel Antonio, right? Like Mikel Antonio was going to show up and then he decided not to. If he just said, okay, well, guess what? I'm not doing that. And, well, Jamaica doesn't have Mikel Antonio or Leon Bailey or some other, a few, some other players for the entire octagonal. Wow. Yeah. Done and dusted. You know? And even with that, that's why I would lean towards, okay, if you split it up at least between October and March, you have some level of flexibility. But also, knowing that's the only window you get, how would the confederations even structure their qualifying process? They that's another it, huge right? thing to A consider. maximum of seven matches. So, so you would have to... They're playing less games is what they're what he's also trying to say. Like, yeah. you're not going to play as many games. You're going to do, like... You'd have to start thinking about, okay, you only get one either home or away. Or perhaps you do it, like, you know, if you're CONCACAF, well, I mean, you, you have to let people go to their, their home stadium, so that's really unfair. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you might have to say, okay, well, the U.S., you're going to play in Honduras, in Costa Rica, and in Panama, and Mexico doesn't play in Azteca against you. They're going to play in, in the U.S. or whatever, you know? So, I mean, that's the only way that I can think of it. If you're only going to have a master with seven masters, you're going to have to pick and choose who gets away games and who yeah. gets the home games. And even know? then... How it depending on how many teams that you've got you're qualifying, not just you know who gets the home and away matches, how many teams and what rounds, how are you gonna have to shorten it? Because even if it's say you keep the quadrennial world cup, you've got three, maybe four windows. Well, it seems like they wouldn't do this if you're not gonna do the every two years. Yeah, okay. So if you have this and you have the biennial world cup, so you've got you're looking at what four, I would assume. Two windows, 14 matches. Are yep. you looking at a lot more knockouts like how you have in some of the lower rounds or like how you have it in early rounds in African qualifying? That would make sense if you're trying to get everybody and then shrink it down because some of these considerations well, are just big. Well, yeah, I would assume that they would perhaps some of these smaller countries, rather than the Caribbean, uh, maybe wouldn't adhere to this per se, and so they would have their matches uh, in in other time periods, or you know, because like you can't you can't have the octagonal at the same time that you're having the rest of it, because how are you going to ever get to the octagonal? Well, I mean, yeah. they could potentially do what like they wanted to do with. The hexagonal for your top six in CONCACAF, then a group stage and knockout for your other CONCACAF country, and then that simultaneously in both windows. That's the only way I could consider that working, but that does a terrible disjustice to your Caribbean as well as Central American nations because... If you're not playing in any of these other windows and you're having this tournament. Yeah, and then, okay, so like for CONCACAF, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Europe, they have their groups. Right? Yeah. But like, let's say Africa, they do this, um, where you have like a, you know, preliminary group stage, then you have the other one. And you, the That first year that you're, trying to com- that you're trying to qualify for the next World Cup is all the smaller nations playing. So yep. what are your bigger nations doing? What are they they playing friendlies for that? Are they playing year? friendlies? Are you going yeah. to have a sort of a revamped nations league? Something that's going right. to have to be discussed. 
Yeah, and then the second one, that's when you have the octagonal. Like, okay, so I mean, that's the thing is it. There's a lot of stuff that you have to figure out there. That again, either some of these teams are going to have to not adhere to that calendar, or you're going to have to do it like that. And it's just that's really weird too, because I thought the whole point was to try to, especially if you're Concacaf, the whole reason why you made the Nations League was so that you didn't have a bunch of friendlies that nobody cared about. It was to mm-hmm. to have games that people a little bit more thought and and care about. What you're right. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot into that. I'm still very much against an every two year World Cup. Uh, I think it's going to get what everybody's, if you're a Europe or Common Bowl, I think you are going to get the majority are going to vote for it because you have so many other countries that do want to get that opportunity to possibly see themselves in a World Cup one day that you mm. don't really get when it's every four years. You will get more of those opportunities when it's every two. And it does help people. Like Arsene Wenger's ultimate goal, right, is that he wants to this to go back into the global game. He wants this to go into youth programs. Right. I do think you would see that happen. Yeah, you would. More, to, It's like the women's game, right? The more pe- more teams you add to the Women's World Cup, the more we've seen people will actually invest in the women's game and have women's teams. You would see more countries invest into the youth programs and try to get better teams because there's more opportunity to make the World Cup. If you never think you're going to get there, then what's the point? Right. Like, well, why even bother with this sport? We're good over here. Right. Like uh, like India, for example. Like, OK, we're good at cricket. Why the hell would I spend all this money to make us good at at soccer? Right. Or, um, you know, even Venezuela, oh, we're great at baseball. Like, why am I going to, you know, do so much? to? So like there is some positives of Mm-hmm. But man, there's a whole lot of logistical mumbo jumbo that you got to move yeah. around. Yeah, you'd have work. to. Would you maintain that that format, qualifying formats, everything else? There's a right. lot, a lot of hurdles, and even then, selection processes too exactly. are out in determining these hosts. So that's a whole big mess, as you said, to consider. Exactly, exactly. So. Let's get into supporters scrap really quick here. Uh, how about your Orlando and DC? Oh, DC playing to kind of like a board draw with Nashville. Orlando got the three points against Cincinnati, one nil, but just a terribly kind of uninspired. I mean, granted, Cincinnati trying to improve and get better, but they're still FC Cincinnati. So one nil, great, but you could push for a bit more there. So. At this point, with how the races in the East are looking, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's getting really tight. Things continue to stay the pace. New York Red Bulls win to pull even with New York City FC now. Uh, so that is just getting getting tighter and tighter in the East. Um, I, I worry for your mental health as it gets closer and closer to the playoff yeah, uh, picket I- time there. Yeah, we're still, both of my teams are above the red line, but not by much. Not by much. Yeah, not by much. I mean, uh, Seattle has lengthened their lead over Sporting KC and the rest, and, you know, Colorado uh, to a full five points. Um, And then, you know, when you get Sporting KC and Colorado, you got another, like, gulf between them. And then you got Portland, again, a little bit ahead of the rest. So, and you do have a little bit of a log jam there between uh, Real Salt Lake, LA Galaxy, Minnesota, Vancouver, and LAFC sort of in with a shout a little bit, but the West's a little bit more defined. The East, man, 
when you get past uh, the craziness that is New England, uh, that the rest of that's man is a little bit up for grabs right now. Uh, then so watch out. Yeah, I'm hoping, hoping we can hang on, and maybe hoping we don't have to play each other right away. Cause that <laughs> no, just yeah, that that's no. always the one you don't want to, you don't hope for. Uh so for me, FC Dallas didn't play in this. Uh, well, that was, yeah, did they play in this window? Uh, I'm not sure. So no uh, MLS stuff for me, but um, pretty much. Except for Valencia that hit the roadblock that is Barcelona, uh, everybody else did well. Uh, Erling Holland came back for Dortmund and got two goals and beat Mines at home. Uh, heck of two goals for Holland as well. One of them in uh, stoppage time, as uh, he always seems to. That's one of the times he comes calling. It's around that time, stoppage time for Erling Holland to score. But good on Dortmund. They keep pace with Bayern Munich. They're a point behind them right now. So uh, the chance to thrash the uh, 10-year run for Bayern Munich is still on uh, for Dortmund. I'm happy about that. And they showed a bit more uh, mojo on defense this game, so even without uh, Guerrero. So I'm very proud of uh, them for that. America did the absolute last-ditch thing in the 96th minute, six minutes of stoppage time and in the freaking last second uh they get the goal uh roger martinez just like it's there in the box he kind of takes a hit at it and it goes past the keeper i mean america just keeps getting this luck and Liga make i'm gonna ride that wave uh, i guess uh beating atletico sunday one nil there uh craziness with them here ac milan goes down two nil against verona um within the first 25 minutes Olivier Giroud uh, comes on, hits a header in the second half. Um, they get a penalty that very well earned uh, by uh, Kessie. And then, oh, wouldn't you know it, Verona gets undone by their own player. And Gunther hitting an own goal. It looked like he was actually trying to score on his, on the net. It's, it was weird. It was weird. It's like he's the defender, but he, he has this look like he's trying to score, and it goes <laughs> in. And, it's just not uh, not great if you're a Verona to lose like that uh, with an own goal. Um, but Milan keeps pace with Napoli and ahead of Inter, their rivals right now. So very happy with uh, how Milan is playing. And uh, uh, Daniel Maldini signing in the first half as well. So uh, props to, uh, to him there as far as what's going on there. Uh, Valencia, they had their moments, uh, but Sergio Dest, uh, bested Yudas Musa on this day. Shiva Dest played one heck. Of, he played really well, uh, Eric and and Barcelona look. They finally looked like Barcelona a little bit. Dare uh, we it, say could they be back? And I mean, it helps when you get Ansu Fati back, right? And he was he scored the first goal. Look, it looked really great. Uh, the team looked much more motivated. Uh, they were able to keep Valencia at bay, even though they had some chances. Um, I'm disappointed in that, but man, it's it is good for the league though to see Barcelona. Oh yeah, uh, doing well. I mean, at least playing well, and then we'll see what they do uh, against Dino Mikiev and see if they can finally get that first win in Champions, uh, so they don't keep looking really bad as they have been in those uh, first two games that they played. And uh, speaking of Marseille, looked really good against Lorient. They went down early to a penalty, uh, but then Kamara with a belter. Uh, and then the Arsenal uh, loanee, Matteo Winduzzi, he uh, 
got that Nations League for France, and then he goes on, and especially the the 90th minute freaking crazy header that he gets, um, where it's like he's off balance and then it just loops over the goalkeeper was uh, pretty fantastic uh, on that end. But hey, again, Marseille just keep it in there. Um, they're like a point behind Longs. And then, of course, PSG is ahead of everybody right now by like nine or ten points. So they're kind of comfortable in Liga, but they get to play PSG pretty soon. So we'll be interested to see what that team looks like because right now PSG has not been playing well. Anjay deserved to uh, to get more from that match against, um, against PSG last uh, that they played. So, you know, on Friday. So I'll, uh, I'll be looking ahead to this before we get to La Classique. So, you know, that's going to be it for the show. Sorry we went a little bit long uh, on this edition, but we had a lot to go through, a lot to talk about. And Hopefully we didn't enjoyed. even get to the Felipe Hernandez story either. No, we didn't. I want to <laughs> save that. Uh, for, well, that was the one that, you know, I said we got we to gotta pick one that we don't talk about here because uh, there was just too much to discuss. That one was kind of the odd, odd one out. So we'll see what happens, well, depending on what happens uh, this week. Maybe that will we'll sneak in and we'll talk about that one uh, for next week. But until then, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard or watched. If you watched on YouTube later or you watched uh, live on Twitch or, or you watched later on Twitch or watched uh, on the Facebook page, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you uh, for that. And uh, you can follow me at WTM Sean, Eric at, at Squid Sportshead, at WTM Network for everything else. Um, you can go listen to if you subscribe to me to know where you get all of our stuff. Eric's uh, football show, the kickoff, you get the life is like a game show, which has been a uh, red hot fire recently. Uh, going through that it lends to the hidden temple. Uh, Mark and I will have a new episode of video games to the max, uh, basically today by the time you're listening or hearing this. And then, um, you know, Mark Riley through all his entertainment stuff, they just reviewed the uh. No Time to Die, James Bond. So if you've been looking forward to that movie, you can definitely go uh, check that out over there. Of course, go visit at W10Net.com. Last word on soccer as well. We are available. So uh, until next week, we'll see you all later. Bye, everyone. Peace. Bye.